0: That's what keeps me going is every, every time I make something, I'm like, what else can I do? And I've gotten to this point where I feel like I can solve most problems around me. And I don't remember feeling that way at all in my twenties.
1: You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty-gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle.
2: And we're your hosts, Emma and Mary Kingsley,
1: the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer, a slow living apparel and lifestyle brand. We started this podcast as a means to further share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having constantly in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm. One that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. Come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now let's dig in.
0: Hello,
3: Emma. It's so nice to have you out at the farm for a couple of days. Yeah, I
1: needed a little summertime at the farm, so what's new out here?
3: Well, the raspberries are finishing up, the blackberries are coming in, along with a lot of weeds, and uh, the bee balm and the daylilies are fading, but the purple coneflower is starting to bloom, and we're getting sunflower, squash, and garlic now, and tons of herbs like mint, tulsi, fennel, dill...
1: You should tell everyone where you get all your awesome vegetables.
3: Oh, yeah. I should explain that um, we belong to a wonderful CSA. It's, it's Mootu Orchards in Purcellville, Virginia. So in my garden at home, I don't do a lot of the annuals that are typical in a summer garden. Um, we've got fruit trees and apples, peaches, plums, persimmons, and pawpaw trees. Um, and now elderberries are coming in like crazy. Uh, this is the time of year when the garden is really lush with with growth of all kinds. And I'm trying to be strategic about what can be left and what really needs to be taken out. Since we get our vegetables from the CSA, or, or most of our vegetables, I concentrate on pollinators and perennials rather than the annuals. Which, yeah, we have plenty of those.
1: Yeah, I can tell. I was just walking through the garden earlier, and it's very lush, and some might call it overgrown. (laughs) No. At least there's like little paths cleared, which is nice. Um, But yeah, you certainly don't plant things
3: in rows. (laughs) I know. Uh, Yeah, every year it's different out there. In the spring, I just, I kind of try to watch and see what's happening and which direction things are going, and I go from there in terms of planting and weeding. This is the eighth year on this property, and my goal is to create a productive environment that doesn't require a lot of intervention, a sort of a slow-living garden, if you will. Is that permaculture? Yeah, permaculture. Is sometimes, like you know, you hear it called, like, lazy gardener gardening or, you know, you don't have to supposedly you don't have to go out there and like toil away things sort of do what they're supposed to do with good results
1: yeah when i was out there earlier i was remembering this conversation that we had with julia that you all are about to hear um where she said something about how she can go in her garden and it's a guaranteed and just within five minutes, her nervous system, she could feel her nervous system sort of calming. And um, I thought about that when I was out there earlier because I've sort of been going in 25 different directions today, even just coming out here today. I had to meet up with Dad downtown, meet him at his work, to drive out here, and, you know, we had to run some errands, and I was missing stuff, and I didn't have service, and then the Internet's really bad out here, so I was feeling like... I was kind of all over the place, so earlier when I was in the garden, I thought about what Julia said, and I thought, maybe this is good if I just sit here and watch the golden hour light and the chickens, and it felt really nice. So is that what you did? Yeah. I sat there and paid homage to Julia and the (laughs) wisdom that she shared with us when we had this awesome conversation. Um, For those of you who don't know Julia, she is the creator behind the Instagram account Simply Living Well, and she also just came out with a book of the same name. Um, It came out, I think, just in April, right around the same time that our guide, the Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living came out. So that was really fun to sort of find her around that time and connect with her over that.
3: Yeah, we reached out to Julia when we saw her book and how perfectly it dovetailed not only with the themes in our book, but with the events of those early spring weeks when the reality of COVID and the quarantine was driving more and more people to seek out the wisdom of slow living in simple ways. We cover
1: a lot of great topics in this conversation about being um, being a presence on Instagram and what that means and how to be authentic and putting
3: yourself out there with your very genuine lifestyle. And we talked about motherhood and raising your children in a village, which Julia literally witnessed during her years in the Peace Corps in a tiny community in Guinea, West Africa.
1: Yeah, and we talked about time, spaces, and how our nervous systems aren't
3: geared to deal with all of the things that we demand of ourselves today. So you really need to get your iced tea and your fan, go out on the porch and put your feet up or whatever it is you do to disengage and let yourself just relax and listen to this dreamy episode, which Julia begins by talking about the three phases of her life that most influenced her evolving into the slow living lifestyle. that she now demonstrates and espouses to a large following of enthusiasts.
1: Yeah, so we're so excited to share with you Julia
0: Watkins. Enjoy! When I think about the book being about living simply and slowly, I think about a few different experiences in my life that I think really influenced this way of life. Um, The first is that I was born in a small town in South Carolina, and I was really lucky to grow up with both sets of grandparents nearby, and I was very close to both of them. Um, I don't really remember ever wanting to play with children because I always spent so much time with them. I did play with children, but they were usually my cousins, and they were at my grandparents' houses. One set of grandparents, my, my mother's parents, were really incredible role models for this sort of slow way of living. They both grew up very poor on a mill hill in South Carolina and were born during the Great Depression. And they both had like eight to 10 siblings. And so they just grew up knowing how to be very resource conscious and how to do things themselves. And um, going to their house was magical for me as a child, because first of all, it was very simple. There wasn't a lot of stuff um it you know everything had a place and everything was in its place but it was also really warm and cozy um my grandparents were always making something from scratch my grandfather kept a really big garden in the back and he was always out there because it was the south so you know he could keep a garden for 9 months of the year but he was always out there he was always offering to um harvest something for you to eat and we were always eating something from their garden. My grandmother cooked lunch every Sunday for the entire family, and there was always some sort of spread of food from their garden. And I didn't realize how unique and fortunate we were until I was older and noticed that people don't really live this way. Um, you know, they don't live in a situation where they're surrounded by family. Um, my mother really had a village around her and and we were taken care of by aunts and uncles and grandparents uh, throughout the week and on the weekends. And it was just really nice. And they also, they kept a rhythm that I think has been lost in modern culture, but there was a rhythm to the day. There was a rhythm to the week. There was a rhythm to the month and the seasons. And I knew exactly what was going to happen when I was there, which is really just very um, soothing to a child, I think. Um, If you spent the night at their house, you knew you would wake up to like home cooked biscuits, like made from scratch, that kind of thing. And just, it was just really homey. And they also uh, practiced some of those sort of old remedies around the house. I don't remember them having a medicine cabinet, but like if you burned your finger Uh, My grandfather had aloe plants all over the house and he would snip a piece off and rub it on your finger. Or if you were stung by a bee, he would, um, you know, pick some plantain from the yard and make a poultice out of it. And I didn't really appreciate it as a child, but as a grown-up, And once I had children, I looked back on them for inspiration for how I wanted to run my own house. So that was the first I think majorly influential experience. The second one was in my early 20s. I uh, worked as a Peace Corps volunteer in Guinea, West Africa. So Guinea is this tiny, super poor country. I think it's, um, it used to be the poorest country in the world next to Haiti. And so, I mean, it's ve- it was it's very slow and, and in some ways cut off from the rest of the world. Um, But I also lived in one of the most remote villages in the country. So, I mean, not only was I in one of the slowest countries, but I was in one of the slowest villages. Getting to my village took great effort um, along a dirt road, crossing a river. And so once you got there, there were no cars ever passing through. I think only two people had a bicycle. Everyone lived in a mud hut made out of bricks that were um, made from you know, mud from down by the river basin. Everyone thatched their own roofs out of hay and everyone in the village grew their own food except for the doctor and two teachers. Um, So it was really a place where I learned what it looks like to have to make everything from scratch and it it was hard in the beginning, but then once I learned some skills, I found it so empowering and fulfilling and and I felt like by the end I was there for two years I felt like by the end of my two years I had so many life skills and so much more confidence so I spent most of my days like keeping chickens and growing um I had a garden with like 12 beds. It was a demonstration garden right by a well. So I had no running water. I had to pull all the water from a well for every bed. (laughs) And I built a live fence around my garden so that I wouldn't, or so after the first couple of years, we wouldn't have to cut any wood down because um, there was a, like a desertification problem happening there. And I did a lot of sustainable beekeeping with a group of farmers that I worked with and grafting mangoes and just doing all of these like wonderful, I guess you would call them sustainable agricultural product projects. And I loved it. It was very, um, it was very fitting for my personality because I have the kind of personality uh, that likes to make things and create things. And I like that sort of physical hard work. Um, I think it's, it's therapeutic for like my personality type. So it was it was definitely the probably the most formative experience I've had, and the best experience I've had, or introduction into slow living. Not even an introduction, but like full immersion. The third experience was motherhood. I think motherhood slows everyone down because kids won't let you move at the pace that you might want to move at as an adult or that you moved at before you had children. But I also had a super sensitive first child. Um, He was really colicky. And we worked with a homeopath in DC who, um, instead of putting him on like sort of an acid reflux medicine, she recommended looking into my diet And that was just a rabbit hole. Once I entered, I never got out of because I learned so much about nutrition and food and whole foods. And he ended up having a lot of food sensitivities. And interestingly, I had them too, but like it took sort of having a child with them for me to understand that some of the symptoms I'd had my whole life were being triggered by foods that, that my body reacted to. So um, one thing led to another, and I really got into slow food and Slow food for me meant you know buying food from farmers that I knew and trusted um, which was grown or or raised locally. Um, it meant using some of those old tried and true traditional methods of preparing foods, so like soaking nuts and beans and grains to make them more digestible and making rich bone broths to like heal the gut lining. Um, And I was just making things that I had never made before. It reminded me a lot of my experiences in Guinea and then growing up with my grandparents. And I think it just opened up this huge window of opportunity to just try to create a life that really meant something to me. So I brought in, you know, I think a lot of my values for sustainability because I've worked in conservation and environmental education my whole life too. But I tried to bring all of that sort of academic intellectual work into my real personal life. And um, so I, you know, I was one of those moms who was like cloth diapering and hanging a clothesline and trying to dry things out in the sunshine and started a garden. And um, and then just sort of slowly just kept adding things to the mix over the years. Um, And there's been a lot more to the story, but I think those are the three experiences that really have shaped the kinds of things that you see on my Instagram feed, for example, and in the book. Yeah. So it sounds like it's definitely like a slow kind of organic evolution. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't feel like, so I think some people discover slow living and say, Oh, I want to live that. And then they go after it, right? For me, I didn't know there was a term called slow living. I'd heard of slow food, but I think for me, it happened sort of through just like life experience and circumstance. And then as I look back I, I on Instagram, actually, I was like, oh, there's a word for what I do.
2: Mm-hmm. And there's
0: like this whole culture and fan base around it. And uh, that was kind of exciting for me. I mean, that happened for me with zero waste too. I I discovered zero waste when we were living in California and I found Bea Johnson's book and there were a lot of people in the Bay area sort of practicing zero waste. Um, and so I kind of fell into it there and I very sort of sporadically and impulsively started an Instagram account where I was going to track my experience really for myself to kind of keep myself going. And I made it public, but I didn't really expect anyone to follow me because I didn't even know there was a zero waste movement. I had no idea. Um, mm. But there was a huge zero waste movement apparently <laughs> online. And so it's just, it's interesting because I've never found the movement and then gone for it. It's always been the opposite for me. Just like life kind of has led me to this way of life. And I've sort of, uh, sort of after the fact, tried to fit myself into the box, if that makes sense.
2: I was going to ask you about how long ago was this, that you started your Instagram account and, and you kind of did not have a sense that there was this whole movement going on out there of things you were already practicing.
0: I started it, um, two and a half years ago. So what happened for me is, um, I was home with my children for eight years. I mean, I'm still home with them, but like I was a full-time, hands-on mother for eight years, and I homeschooled my oldest until third grade. Then we moved to Chicago, and there's not really a homeschool community where we are, so the kids started school. And when they started school, all of a sudden, I went from having literally no free time to having about five to six hours every day. And I felt like I had bandwidth to do some of the things that I'd wanted to do for a while. So I was already doing some zero waste. Like we were already shopping with our own produce bags and bulk bags and, you know, we'd cloth diapered our kids and we were pretty conscious of how we consumed, but. I had this image of, of Bea Johnson shopping at Whole Foods. I'd actually watched her do it on YouTube and it was like, Yeah, there's like great video. I mean, (laughs) that was really like, you ask if I had an aha moment. That was like such a uh, visual motivator for me. I watched her shop and then I watched her come home and put everything away and not throw one thing in the garbage. And that image has never left my mind, but when we lived in California and I was homeschooling and parenting full-time, I didn't have the bandwidth to take it to that level. When we moved to Chicago, I, um, I got this idea that I was going to do a juice cleanse because of course I lived in California. Everyone does juice cleanses and I had time for it. So I went shopping and I put everything in the fridge and it was all produce. It looked like a farm stand and I'd bought it all without using any plastic bags or anything and i had this moment where i was like oh I, don't i look like vaya johnson <laughs> Does, <laughs> this looks like vaya johnson's fridge and i'm so i'm so sort of like impulsive that i was like i know i'll go zero waste this is the perfect time to do it so i took a photo of my fridge and i posted it to my private account which has like 80 followers and i wrote something like i'm going to go zero waste and i didn't expect anyone to care but every like all of my friends chimed in, oh, please tell us how you're going to do it. And so I would, for a couple of weeks, I would post like, oh, I went shopping at this zero waste grocery store and I bought shampoo and olive oil and vinegar in my own glass jars. And I showed people how I did it. Or I'd show people how, you know, I made my own lotion. And after a while, I was like, these are my actual friends. And I know that I'm starting to drive them crazy. <laughs> so I'm going to take this public like somewhere else. And people can choose to follow me, you know? So I took it, I, I started a new account. Um, I looked for names forever. Simply Living Well was the first one that fits because, you know, all the names are taken. Mm-hmm. And I started posting. And I think my first post got like 200 likes or something, you know? And I was like, who are these people? And I I then, I'd never hashtagged in my life. Um, so I hashtagged something zero waste. And then more people found me. And then I started looking for people through the hashtag. I think that was the first time I understood that that's what hashtags were for. Until then, I was like, why do people hashtag things? (laughs) (laughs) Like, why are you? I thought it was just really obnoxious. I didn't know it was actually a way to find community. So uh, I started looking for community. And I was like, whoa, there are a lot of people sharing. And in the beginning, I used it to learn from other people and i'm so grateful for people on instagram who just share so generously and back in the day it was the it, i think it still is a really nice community but it seemed a little more grassroots back then mm-hmm. it was for very sure. i don't know if you remember but it was just very like i don't it was just very simple and personable and instagram hadn't become quite the way it is now it wasn't people didn't have a motivation they were really just sharing because they were motivated to reduce their waste. So it was, it was really lovely. And that's how it started for me. And the, the account just, I think because there was a community in place, it grew very quickly, but I think also I don't just share about zero waste. Um, I realized very, very early on, I think by my third or fourth post that I wanted to share about anything that I felt was complementary to that, anything I was interested in. So I started to share about natural living and slow living and just simplicity and things like not minimalism, but something close to that, like just paring down your things and living with less. Um, and so I think I brought in, I think that's why my account grew fast because I was talking about a lot of different things. Then eventually mm-hmm. I was talking about gardening. So the gardening folks came. And I was also talking a little bit about what it is to make a home and a simple home. Um, so a lot of like moms and homemakers followed me. Um, so it's just kind of become like its own thing. I don't really know how to define what it is, but it's, it's been really fun for me. I think it's actually helped me grow because I'm sort of watching myself do it. And it's, it helps keep me really conscientious of what I'm doing. It keeps me on track, I think. Did you say that all this started, um,
2: I mean, the account started like when you moved to Chicago two and a half years ago?
0: Yeah, it grew very quickly. And I'm not sure how it grew quickly. I think um, people have asked me, I haven't done anything weird. You know, I've (laughs) like, I haven't, yeah, I, I, I. I, I don't do the follow for follow things really, because I really, I really want my account to grow like as authentically and honestly as possible. So, um, the only thing I've done that might grow is like occasionally I do giveaways, but that's only been very recently. I think the reason why I grew is because people shared my account and they share my recipes a lot. And so it's all because of the community that's there. But I also think there was already, like, a really big zero-waste community to tap into. So yeah, there's. it's kind of like the wave was there, and you kind of got right I on it. got there. on it. And I think I got yeah. on it, like, at the right time. Mm-hmm. You know, there was probably a lot of luck in there, so... Yeah, it's been, it's been a wild thing to watch. I watch it with as much curiosity and wonder as anybody else. I mean, I, I'm just like, what is going on? This is making me sweat. <laughs> like, that, the, the other weird thing is that um, I'm not exactly sure how I feel about it most of the time. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't think I have a personality that likes a lot of attention, but I do love to share this lifestyle. Yeah. I love to make things and I love to take photos of it and I love to write about it and share. So, but I don't necessarily like to talk about myself and I don't really do that a lot on the account, but, um, sometimes it feels like a lot of energy to keep up with an account that's that big. And I wonder, you know, I like, I don't have a goal. I wonder like, you know, what am I doing? <laughs> What's Yeah. Doing? I don't know if you guys ever feel that way. You probably don't because you have a, you have a business and you have a mission, but. Yeah, well,
1: similarly, something you said earlier about like having a hard time to kind of describe what it is. I feel like actually the further we go in, kind of also, as you were saying, it's like we started with this sustainable fashion and slow fashion. And we realized quickly, you can't really talk about sustainable fashion without talking about like. Oh my gosh! Sustainable everything else because <laughs> right. it's all so interlaced. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, kind of the further we go, the the more we realize there is to talk about. The more excited we get about all the different things. And so it kind of, it is kind of constantly an evolving thing. And us too about like, is this you know obviously we want to share and we want it to be about our story. But sometimes it's weird to feel like, especially me, I get really self conscious about like. Um, smiling for the camera and like, look at me doing the thing because I don't feel like it's not about me. (laughs) But then also people love seeing me, you know, they love seeing me and my mom. And so it's like, I don't know, give the people what they want or like be authentic to your story or I don't
0: know what yeah, it is. Yeah, I think that's true that people do like to see a face to an account. I told someone recently, I wouldn't follow me because I never see my face. When I go follow an account, mm-hmm. I, I immediately scroll down to look for who's running the account. I want to yeah. see their face and feel a connection to them. Um, but it's scary to put your face out there because mm-hmm. I mean... I've been at the grocery store before, and been like, oh my goodness, I follow her. <laughs> Should I go tell her, or is that an invasion of her privacy? I feel like I feel like you're 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 really putting yourself out there, and you're you're potentially giving up your anonymity. And I don't know if this comes from being in the Peace Corps, but. When I was in the Peace Corps, there were a thousand people in my village, 600 of whom were children, and I was the center of attention for two years. And I remember Mm -hmm. it just being so hard for me to get that much attention. And I remember thinking, I would hate being famous. I would hate for people to know me. (laughs) Like, there is something so important and privileged about anonymity. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I just It's, it's, um. I don't know. I think some people want that attention, and some people don't. But I think it it um, it's really special to have that that sense of privacy and quiet in your life. And I'm not sure it's worth giving up. <laughs> I don't know. I'm probably the only person who feels this way, but I think
2: it's a key part of the whole um, sustainability and slow living. Because you know, if you're always to your point oh, I have to do something for the account because my audience is out there, you know, they're wanting to hear from me today or you know, it's time for a post and all that. It, it does feel a little invasive sometimes, but um, it's mm-hmm. a trade-off. And um, personally, I struggle with like, I want to share what, what we're doing and living and, um, and you know, educate. I feel really passionate about uh, informing people especially Mm -hmm. now since they seem hungrier for this type of information. Um, But at the same time, sometimes I just want to live, you know, I just want to, I want to do my thing and not, you know, I have to be so conscious about how I'm translating it or communicating it. But I mean, it's just, it's, it's a trade off and because there is such gratification in knowing people are learning from us and, hopefully enjoying things
0: and yeah I think it's a really good tool for kind of keeping you mindful actually because you're always having to think about why you why you have an account and what's Mm -hmm. important to you and I think I think about authenticity all the time so I think I want to I want to live slowly and share that second and um so I don't want to always feel like I'm creating content. I want it to come from my actual life. Yeah. And um and I think it's really great to have some tool in your life. It's almost like meditation where you're like always coming back to your breath, but like you have this tool in your life that's always making you have to be conscious of how you're using it and how you're using it and how it's affecting other people and how and whether you're staying true to who you really are. I think it actually can make you less authentic or it can make you more authentic. Mm. And I I think it can make you more authentic and that makes it a, a really powerful tool if you're using it that way. I think people do love learning from other people because early on, I learned so much about zero waste from the people who shared online. And I know I felt extremely grateful to them and just was so grateful for their generosity because it is it is a lot of giving of your time answering all those questions and DMs and emails and comments and it is um, it is sort of it is like a form of altruism <laughs> in some ways. Um, so yeah. yeah, I think it's great that you share the way you do.
2: I just got just now got a text on my phone. Someone asking me about their sourdough starter. <laughs> What is it supposed to look like? This and don't whatever?
0: you just love people who care about that kind of thing? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I love it. the community is like the cutest community ever. They name their sourdough. They're really into like, you know, the health of their sourdough. <laughs> My daughter took her sourdough starter to show and tell last week, and I oh. and she had the little sweater around it, and I was just like. You are probably the only eight-year-old with a sourdough starter. (laughs) It's just so Uh, adorable to me. Oh,
2: so cute. Well, talk about authenticity. I think, you know, the people that are, you know, passionate about their sourdough and they, they really want to show you how they've mended their socks or they're so excited about getting their microgreens going, all this kind of thing that is really authentic.
3: That is people are
2: so excited and they want to share and they want more information and they want to learn.
0: Yeah. And so empowering for them, I think. And for you too. I mean, I, I find these skills, I find that's the thing I love about all of it the most is that every time I learn something new, I just feel like this boost in self-confidence, right? And you want to share that with people because you want them to feel that too, just to feel capable um for me I think that's what keeps me going is every every time I make something I'm like what else can I do? And I've gotten to this point where I feel like I can solve most problems around me and I don't remember feeling that way at all in my 20s. I think that's something for me that's something
1: that's so special about choosing to consciously live more this way is actually very empowering. Mm-hmm. Um it actually makes you feel more resourceful and responsible I think because because you do immediately have to become more resourceful if you're you kind of have to stop and think um if you if you rule out ordering the thing on Amazon right away <laughs> and and then and then the creativity and what comes with the that alternative is really just fun and really empowering what are some actual like real challenges and? Um, sort of roadblocks that you find yourself coming up against or or things that maybe you're still you still know you could do more zero waste or more sustainably but just like kind of doesn't fit or work right now
0: yeah I mean I think I think time is always going to be the limiting factor in this culture because A lot of mothers will nod their heads, I hope, when I say this, but especially when I became a mother, I was like, where is my village? Because when I did live in Guinea, I remember thinking, mothers don't look stressed here. Motherhood looks really easy, and these moms all have like four to eight kids, and it's because they're not doing it alone. They really do have the village. They have an aunt and an uncle and other children to hold the baby when they go to the water pump, and they have someone to hold the baby when they cook dinner or they have someone to cook dinner or go to the water pump. There's so many helping hands, everyone works. I mean, you see three-year-olds and four-year-olds at the pump and um, and helping out around the house. Whereas when you become a mother in this culture, you look around and you're like, it's just me, unless you're lucky enough to live near family, which I did have growing up, but I, I haven't had, um, until very recently, until we moved to Chicago. So I think um, depending on your circumstances, maybe you work full time, maybe you work two jobs. I just think time is a limiting factor for many of us. Um, I've learned how to do a lot of these things more efficiently, but I still have moments every day where I feel like I'm hustling, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. like there's just more work to do than I have time to. And I especially feel that right now because my, I have two children and they're both home all day. Um, and I'm homeschooling them and setting up art projects and helping them with breakfast and lunch and dinner and, and just like, just being with them all day and, and listening to them and responding to their needs. So I think, you know, it takes time to chop up veggies and ferment them. It takes time to knead sourdough. It takes time to prepare and, um, take care of a garden. And it definitely takes time to like cloth diaper your children or to hang clothes on the line. Um, especially like, you know, if you hang clothes on the line, you have to do it when it's sunny out. Whereas like if you get them out of the dryer, you can do it after the kids go to bed. Just little details like that start to matter. And so, I I think that will always be an issue, but I think what slow living is really about is figuring out, taking the time to figure out what really matters to you and doing the best you can to remove everything else. So, you know, not volunteering for something that you really don't want to do and not signing up for an activity just because you feel like you should or whatever. So, I mean, for me, I don't I don't sign up for a lot of things outside of the house so that I have time to do all the things I love to do in the house, you know? The slow living uh, lifestyle sort of points out to
2: people that are doing it very intentionally and consciously. What like all these things, these conveniences were saving time supposedly like, you know, ready to eat meals. Um, and, you know, things already packaged, those were to save time. And you start to ask yourself, what was I trading that time for? Um, that mm-hmm. was so, so much better than um, kneading the sourdough or cutting the vegetables and all that. And I know um, my children were, were raised in the suburbs in the 90s. And we had a very busy life with all the activities and everything. We were just going full tilt. And it was fun. Um, and it, you know, the kids had a great time, I know, but I look back on that now compared to right, like right now, like, especially during the quarantine when people are really home with their kids and they can't be out, um, you know, headed up and down the road all the time going to this and that it's really, really Mm -hmm. different. It's, it's really different from even the way my children were raised and they're, you know, they're young adults now, but, Mm -hmm. and so in the nineties, we traded, our trade was, um, we traded the time saved, supposedly, in doing all these things at home, to really, like, going out and about to activities. That was the trade. And um, Yeah,
0: me too. Yeah, that's how my childhood was, too. And, you know, I, I liked my childhood. It was really nice, but I liked that I could go to my grandmother's house and see that there was, like, something a different way.
2: Yes, yes. I had that experience too as a child. I did not live around my grandparents, but I would go to a small town in Georgia to visit with my best friend to visit her grandparents. And when you were talking about being in their house and seeing that there were fewer things, um, I had this specific memory of uh, she had a the, the grandmother had a linen closet and she put a note on each sheet set when it was last ironed. And oh, wow. if it had been <laughs> over a certain amount of time, not even used, but ironed. And I think about that, that image sticks in my mind a lot now because we just, you know, there's way too many objects in our lives to even take that kind of care with things. And, you know, much less the sheets, who irons sheets. <laughs> even right, I know. <laughs> I know, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I like my organic cotton sheets, but they don't need to be ironed. (laughs) No, (laughs) no, no, I don't do that either. (laughs) Maybe maybe some slow living people out there do that. Maybe, maybe it's, they like it. They like the crispness or, or whatever, but that's an image that has really stuck with me over the years because there was fewer objects. Therefore you could be more conscientious and thoughtful about, about your surroundings and, you know, what each you know, caring for your surroundings.
0: I love that image. But I find for me and I'm so sensitive to my environment and I'm very visual so I see everything and I feel like I actually feel like it's a drain on my energy because seeing it means I have to process it. And it kind of just wears me down after even if I'm not putting it away. I'm just seeing it. And I feel like it's it it depletes people without them even knowing it sometimes I don't know if other people feel that way but um my grandmother yeah she I couldn't remember where every book was I can remember what was on the mantle and I don't remember any of that changing ever in like 15 years I don't remember her ever coming in the house with shopping bags full of things and then having to figure out yeah. where she was going to put them. And I don't remember her ever having to throw things to make room for the new things. It just wasn't really part of her mindset. And I do remember Christmas being special for her, but she would buy everyone one gift. And my my mom did that too. I grew up in a house where you only got maybe two gifts. And that was really different than the culture around me because as a kid, you know, of course it really bothered me, (laughs) but (laughs) my mother would give you something you needed and something that was just really fun. And I really, she, she kept a really minimal home too. So I really admire that she did that now at the time I wanted all all the stuff, but. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just style. such an interesting, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wanted all the things my friends were getting, but I'm really glad I grew up in a house like that because I think, I think it was calmer for me just being a sensitive child. I think, I think children do get overwhelmed by having stuff all around them all the time and having too many choices, but I yeah. think adults do too, but we're just maybe not as conscious of it because we've been it's been happening to us for such a long time. And another thing is when I came home from living overseas and not having stuff, I had never experienced anxiety before, but I remember going, my friends took me to, to the grocery store and then they took me to Ikea on a separate day. And both of those occasions or those experiences were so over stimulating for me because there were so many choices and i didn't realize that my nervous system had had this opportunity this like very long term opportunity to recalibrate to go back to like this baseline where i think where i think it's supposed to be like i i felt grounded and calm because i wasn't always inundated with choices and things and um places to go and places to be and activity and and obligations and then I came home and that contrast, I could feel it, I think, because it was such a quick and startling contrast. I really, really felt it in my nervous system. And that's how we're all living all the time. Yeah. So I just imagine like the compounded stress of living here is not even something we're aware of because most of us haven't even experienced something different. But children do, right? because they come into the world at baseline. And so if we inundate them with too much talking and too much TV and too much background noise and too much stuff, and we're always asking them, do you want this or do you want this? They don't really need to be asked so many questions. (laughs) (laughs) They're not like, I don't know. They're not, I don't, I, I think they're probably relieved when we make the choices for them and don't give them so many because I, yeah, I just think the way that we live is, is stressful just without us knowing it. Does that make sense? It makes so much sense. It, yeah. does.
2: it does. And you know, we um, we're, we're still the same biological beings we were, basically a couple hundred thousand years ago I mean our biology hasn't changed that much which means our nervous systems are pretty much the same so just you know compare being hunter-gatherers and just not even having stuff to speak of, and being
1: outside all the time yeah yeah being really connected to the seasons and and even like the weather yeah and now we're and artificial environments, and and
2: we have all these um, belongings and things. So when you talk about it from the sense of our nervous system, it really puts a different perspective on it. And I really appreciate how you frame that. Like you had lived that way for two years, and you you felt it. And you know, not many people get uh, get get to experience that contrast. So that's just a really valuable story. It really is.
0: Yeah, I mean, like today, I can go in my garden. I can be inside my house and start to feel sort of frenzied, and so I'll walk out to my garden, and I, I can tune into my nervous system and feel that within like five minutes, I feel completely different. So mm-hmm. I, can, I can sort of create that experience at home, but it was on such a different scale because my body was outside for two years straight, and I never went indoors. I never went into a air conditioned. Building, I lived in a mud hut, which is basically like living outside. (laughs) And so my body got that for two years, and I do feel like just physiologically, I changed. I felt really healthy, really strong, Um, and and then when I came home, I just felt so stressed. And I feel like, gosh, that's how I've felt for the last twenty years, (laughs) probably, and. I think it's then, just so important to go outside as much as possible,
2: and then you compound that with you know the chemicals and things that are in our mm-hmm. our products and things. You just so we we really have a lot to be aware of and to try to counteract, and that's why this I I think this information is so useful and lots of times people don't even know it's what they're looking for. They know they just feel unsettled or or not at ease. And, um, you know, we talk about this a lot, like, in your, in your spaces, your interior spaces or outside or whatever, how, to tune in to how you feel, just as you just described, you going outside. Have you encountered this uh, argument that the sustainability movement isn't available to everyone because so many people are just trying to get by day to day and they can't, they don't have time to do these things. And, and it's, so it's just not something that's open to everyone. Do you encounter that?
0: Yeah, I think that that conversation was going around a lot for a while. Um, I haven't seen it come up in a while, but I have a couple of different ways that I think about that. The first is I kind of agree because I have, had moments in my life, especially in early motherhood, where I didn't feel like I had any extra bandwidth. Um, I mean, I was cooking everything from scratch for my, my child who had sort of high needs. Wouldn't call them special needs, but definitely high needs around food and food sensitivities. And then I you know, was nursing and just, just taking care of a baby and staying up all night with them a lot of times. I didn't feel like I had the bandwidth to take on something like zero waste, like really trying to reduce your waste um, to just this very minimal amount. And I know people, other people feel that for different reasons, maybe they're taking care of an aging parent, or they are working several jobs, or they're a single parent just trying to make things meet, or they have a physical disability or a chronic disease. I totally get that. And I think that I really believe that the onus for sustainability should be on our systems and that, that our businesses and our policymakers should take more responsibility. But I also think it's really important to tell people that sustainability is a really amorphous term. Like living sustainably is not a formula. It's not a recipe. You don't have to check off a list to be able to say you're doing it or to be able to just feel that you're doing it. It's really just um, having the set of values that say, you know, I want to live in a way that's just a little more gentle on the earth because it's important to me. And then beyond that, like Really, you get to do it however you want, and I think it's actually a super creative process, and people forget that sometimes because they get really cerebral about it, that it's supposed to look like this, 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 and this, and like for one person, it may look like solar panels or, you know, installing solar panels on your roof and buying an electric car. I'm certainly not at that point. Um, For another person, it might look like shopping secondhand and being the type of person who's super frugal and repairs things um, when they break or builds things from scraps or mends a a pair of jeans when they get a rip in them. Or another person, it might look like shopping bulk and doing a lot of DIYs. Um, But I think You know, when we think about our grandparents, they lived really gently by virtue of the fact that they didn't have much. And so if if it's a resource issue, um, I think there are lots of people uh, all over the world in developing countries and then our ancestors to look to for examples of how to do it um, with less. My husband has a saying, I hope I remember how to say it, but like sustainability shouldn't be about doing more it should be about doing more with less yeah and I think that it really depends on how you're looking at sustainability if you're if you're if you're looking at at it like it's a checklist and and it's this sort of perfect set of rules then yeah I think that excludes a lot of people but I think the the movement has really tried to figure out ways to be as inclusive and as accessible to as many people as possible. I think when it started, it looked like five years of trash in a jar. Yeah. But I think it has really evolved a lot since then, right? I mean, I, I, yeah. I can't fit five years worth of trash in a jar. And, like, if someone told me that's what I had to do, to, I would feel crossed, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, like, that's not what it means. It just means, like, I think very gradually just learning some new skills and finding joy in it. I also don't think it needs to be really tense. It doesn't need to be something that makes you feel so tight. You you know, Mm -hmm. it can just, it can actually be something that brings a great deal of joy and empowerment to your life. And it can take you 10 years. It's taken me that long and that's fine too. It's not like, I don't know. It's, 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 it's not this really well-defined word. So you get to do whatever you want with it. I think that makes it, just a little less stressful for people.
2: I think uh, the key is to remember that sustainability needs to be sustainable. <laughs> it, it needs yeah, to be something exactly. you can do and stick with it. Otherwise, it's, you know, it's um, counterproductive. And right. the, the other thing is, like, what we should not do is shut down the conversation because there's this sense that it's not for everybody. And that's not fair. Um, Mm -hmm. that's, that's counterproductive as well. I think we keep talking about it. We keep sharing, we keep doing it ourselves. We just keep walking the path and especially in the last two months with this situation where everyone's home in quarantine, it's become so much less of a, um, a kind of fringy thing or or just something you're gonna try it its turned much more in the direction of necessity um, mm-hmm. people are looking at um supply chains and you know there's availability of certain items is not at all certain anymore or for now, and we don't know how far that's gonna go um so people are really really thinking about it now, so I don't think it's as much a a fringy thing as as it was even six months ago. Would you agree with that?
0: Oh, definitely. And I, I think there's something about like bulk bins that really triggers people because I think people don't have access to them or often they're at really expensive grocery stores. Well, those are shut down now, so we don't have to talk about bulk bins anymore. <laughs> and yeah. I think it, that's fine. I mean, I love my bulk bins, but like we don't even have to talk about them anymore. Now right. it's more about things like how to prevent food waste. Well, who isn't interested in that? That's something that benefits everyone. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's something that I think is accessible to a lot of people. If you are strapped for cash, then you're probably very interested in knowing how to prevent food waste. So I think the, the things people are focusing on are just slightly different. I've seen people say, you know, zero waste is dead. And I just think that's ridiculous. It's just that there's, um, the way that you maybe perceived it might not be this might not be, Accessible to you right now, but this is a great opportunity to look at all the ways that you can reduce waste in a really like scrappy way, you know, like saving your food scraps to make veggie scrap stock and turning your um, pulp from your almond milk into crackers and growing your own food, which I know so many people are doing, and definitely not shopping online as much, but trying to make do with what you have. I mean, I think consumerism has probably. Um, diminished a lot in the last couple of months and people look around and they can see all the ways they can make do with what they have I know I haven't bought anything in a really long time um, or haven't been buying as much stuff you know craft like one of the things my kids are home and they love to make things which I love to encourage but I haven't bought any new arts and crafts supplies in a very very long time So we look around and we're like, okay, we have all these scraps of yarn. Let's make pom-poms or whatever and make little pom-pom flowers. Or we have these scraps of felt. Um, What can we do with them? So we've been just trying to figure out what to do with scraps. And I actually love that kind of thing because I love to make my brain work towards creativity. So I I think it has definitely driven people in a direction of, trying to learn how to be resourceful, which is what I think sustainability is really all about. Um, It's not about having access to expensive brands or expensive grocery stores. It's about it's about being resourceful and making resources stretch as far as they can so that you don't have to extract new ones. Right. Mm -hmm. Well said.
1: uh, Before we close out, I do want to ask can you tell us about some of the projects you have
0: going on in Africa and Latin America through your nonprofit? So, yeah, my husband, uh, Scott, and I started a nonprofit in 2016. It's uh, called Look For Conservation, and it's sort of just sort of like a side project for both of us because he also does um, work in climate policy. So uh, we started it in 2016 to help local very community-based organizations in Latin America and Africa um, essentially find funding. So a lot of those groups are really great at doing the technical work of conservation but they're not necessarily or they don't necessarily have the capacity to do some of the project management like grant writing or project design or developing a communication strategy and when you can't do those things it's really hard to get funding. So what we do is we go in and find those groups and my husband does most of the travel right now because I'm still home with our children most of the time and um, so he'll go and find these groups and develop strong relationships with them and then if he thinks that they have like the capacity to make high impact, he'll help them find funding and he'll help them write those designs or uh, write the proposal. And we usually work with a Dutch foundation called DOB Ecology because they're also looking for these small local organizations. So I would say we're sort of like the middlemen. And um, so far, we've worked in Brazil and Zambia, Uganda, South Africa, Argentina, and we're starting to work a little bit in Ecuador. That was supposed to be my first trip, but it was canceled because of the oil strike. So there's always like things like that to get around. But most of the projects in general are around wetlands or forest conservation or uh, sustainable agribusiness. That is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I left international. I don't know if I said this, but I after Peace Corps, I did graduate school. I studied conservation science and policy and I worked in international development for about five years. And I really loved my work. I loved still having that connection to West Africa. I really believed in the work, but I just, once my children were born, once my son was born, I couldn't imagine doing all the travel and leaving him because my husband was also traveling for work. So I left it and I, I always missed the work. I always missed especially going out to the field. So when my son started school um, a few years ago, my husband had this opportunity to do work with DOB Ecology. And we thought, we'll form this organization and then I can, he can pull me in and I can start doing the work again. And so eventually, I've been really busy with simply living well and writing the book, but I'm starting to get back into it. And I just, I love being able to go back into that work. I love that the work focuses on building capacity of organizations that are local and already doing the work instead of bringing in people from outside to do it. And yeah. I think it's, it's exciting to be able to go back into that work. Now that my children are a little bit older, I'm almost more willing to travel. I didn't want to leave them when they were little, but now I'm ready to do it. And I also just feel like I learned so much from people who are living so close to nature. Um, and that's, that's one thing I learned in West Africa too, just watching people actually live in direct communication with their environments. It's, it's not really like a hobby for them, it's really part of their livelihoods. And it's just a very different type of conservation work because these people actually live, live in direct communication with the natural world, but they also need to um, generate income And so it's not all about the environment. It's also about the people. And I think that's really important to think about both and to think about just like, I think you were talking about this earlier, how sustainability isn't uh, necessarily accessible to everyone. But I think like in some of these really poor countries, sustainability isn't their number one priority, like getting food on the table is. So
3: I really love
0: like working with people in a way that's really creative and trying to find how they can get both. Um and, and I don't know, it's just a little bit different than how we do conservation in the United States, which is really focused on like biodiversity conservation, less on people. Does uh does Look Bar Conservation have a website where people can go and read about learn more about it? We do. It's just um dot org. So Julia, what is it that you most want people to understand about the work that you do? So I guess the work um Like at Simply Living Well, I think I want people to know that I'm not a content creator. I am living this and sharing it as authentically as I can. I do take pretty photos and I do write things up as recipes, and I think it can sometimes look like content creation. But as much as possible, I'm not really planning things out. I'm living my life day to day. And if it feels like I could share it on Simply Living Well, I do. Sometimes I'll save a few recipes for the blog and um, and share it that way. But I just want people to know that it's very real, like it's authentic. I'm actually living this. And the other thing I want people to know, which I've said, is just that um, I've seen I've seen comments before that say, you know, all this DIYing and making and. It reminds me of the 1950s and haven't we moved on past that? And I always want to say this is, this is, this is different because um, we're learning these skills by choice, not out of oppression or, or out of you know, not having a choice. And having these skills is extremely fulfilling and empowering. And I just, when I see that, I want to be like, no, 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 it's not the same. No one's making you do this. No one's keeping you from doing anything else. You're, you're, you're making a choice. This is freedom, you know? Oh,
2: that's, that's wonderful. And it, it's not so much about, um, about going back. It's about how to move forward in the world we're living in.
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. With all of who knows what we have ahead of us and we can't, we can't go back. We can't go back to the way it was. That's not the way human evolution works, um, or society. But we can move forward in better, healthier ways that make us all all feel better, and I think that's the point, right? right.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Julia. We uh, are so excited to continue digging through your book, "Simply Living Well." Um, can you tell people a little
0: bit about where they can find it or where to find you online? Sure. So the book is sold at all the major retailers, Amazon. Books a Million, Booktopia, Indie Bound. Hope I'm not forgetting anyone. anyone. And then it's also sold at a a few small women-owned businesses like Heritage Goods and Supply, Helen Milan Home, um, Freckled Hen Farmhouse has it, and um, a few other places have it. Um, And then you can find me on Instagram at simply.living.well or online. I have a blog called Simply Living Well.
1: It's truly my dream to one day meet up in person with all of these wonderful people that we get to have these conversations with. And Julia is no exception um, how I'd love to go walk through her garden, you know, and, or have her here to drink tea on our porch. But I'm just really grateful that we had this chance to sit down with her, and I hope that you all feel the same way.
3: Hope you've enjoyed listening to Julia today and how her life experiences have evolved into this lifestyle of demonstrating and teaching and modeling a way of life that is much needed in today's world
1: definitely check out her book as she just mentioned she um she mentioned where to find it and we will also list it in our show notes and we will also make a plug to go ahead and leave a review while you're at it if you have read her book or after you read her book Um, and similarly with the lady farmer guide to slow living if you have read the book and you enjoyed the book, and you would like to recommend it to other readers, we would so appreciate a review on Amazon. In particular, um, we normally we haven't been directing people to Amazon because we also have the book available on our site, and so if you're going to buy it, definitely buy it there. But for those who don't know about us and might find us through Amazon, it's really helpful that there are lots of reviews on there to assure people that the book that they're buying is as awesome. As you say it is.
3: Also, please, if you've enjoyed this podcast and other episodes, please go in and leave a review on the podcast as well because, you know, people will look at reviews and decide whether or not to tune in. So um, we hope that you will help other people find us. If you like it. Yes. If
1: you like it and think other people should find us. (laughs) No pressure if not. Well, we hope that you have a lovely weekend and rest of your week, and we will see you back here in another couple of weeks with another episode of The Good Dirt.
3: Thank you so much.
1: you like listening to the good dirt? I hope you do, because you're here listening to it. And are you looking for more good dirt in your life and a community of slow-living enthusiasts to connect with, all while supporting your favorite sustainable living podcast? Well, We're so excited to offer The Almanac. It's our private, slow-living community network where we share workshops, activities, articles, essays, recipes, and so much more that align with our community's sustainable, slow, seasonal way of living.
3: As a member, you'll have access to information sharing and discussions on numerous topics of interest through online threads and frequent live virtual gatherings. Members receive access to a virtual community of hundreds of other slow-living enthusiasts, as well as Almanac-exclusive events, workshops, recipes, playlists, online gatherings, and a book club. We offer seasonal activities and ongoing discussions on a variety of topics to guide you on your slow-living journey. Also included is 10% off the Lady Farmer Marketplace year-round. Numerous resources and more, and discounted Lady Farmer events, including the slow living retreat
1: as a good dirt listener we are excited to offer you 20 percent off your monthly membership and three months free which is basically an entire season if you sign up for the year so go ahead and go to ladyfarmer.com slash community to sign up with this special offer just for good dirt listeners yay that's ladyfarmer.com slash community to sign up for 20% off a monthly membership of the Almanac or three months free if you sign up for an entire year. That's ladyfarmer.com community.